Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Got to make a correction to a conversation we had earlier this week on This Week in the CLE. We talked about a speed trap coming to Mayfield Heights, but it's coming to Mayfield Village. Some people have some thoughts about the idea of that speed trap. It is This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Lisa Garvin, and a special guest, Jeremy Pelzer from our state house. It is finally Friday, which I never thought would get here. And it's 64 degrees in my house right now. <laughs> I know. I did one last swim in the lake this morning. I was like, I think that's it. I think I'm done. This was bad. No, no, we'll still get, we'll get a hot week. So on this Mayfield uh, Village thing, we did hear from somebody, we've heard from several people, but somebody who really do believe it's about safety, that it's not about um, collecting the money. I'm not buying it. I've seen it too many times. But to check that out, we're going to, we're going to go and analyze do the speed trap cities along the interstate have lower accident rates than those that don't have speed traps? And then look at how much money they're raking in. So we will follow up on that. Thank you for writing your notes. Let's get going. What are the grounds for the wholly expected lawsuit over the gerrymandered legislative districts approved by Ohio Republican leaders last week? Jeremy Pelzer, I've had a couple of people say, you keep saying they're gerrymandered. That's a, that's subjective. And it's like, no, it's subjective. <laughs> they, they are de facto gerrymandered districts, almost exactly like they were before. We speak the truth on this week in the CLE. What are the people that are trying to get them thrown out saying as they go to the Ohio Supreme Court? Well, so uh, first of all, great to be here. And I, so it, it's going to be up to the court to decide uh, if indeed legally these are gerrymandered lawsuits. Uh, and here's the evidence that uh, the ACLU of Ohio and other voting rights groups are putting forward. They're saying that the legislative districts passed by Republicans, they violate the Constitution's requirements that districts must uh, correspond to what the election results have been in Ohio for the past 10 years. So over the past 10 years, Republican candidates have gotten about 55% of the vote. And these new legislative maps give Republicans about 66% of the vote. And so uh, these groups are saying, well, that's unfair because that's too much of the vote. Well, and the bigger issue there is it gives them a supermajority. So if if there's a bill that gets vetoed, they don't need any Democratic support to overcome it. And that's that's kind of bad government. I, again, this we knew this was coming because they are gerrymandered. Even the members of the some members of the redistricting commission acknowledged as much when they voted for him. It was one of those amazing moments where they 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 did it knowing that what they did did not pass muster. 
Uh, I, I'm betting that the Supreme Court, uh, not probably not even in a close vote, does say not a chance. You've got to go with the will of the voters. It's not just the letter of the law. It's the intent. The voters voted 70 percent to change the system because they're sick of this kind of gerrymandering. And then the Republicans gerrymandered. So we'll be following it. I still think that the timeline of this is is dicey. Uh, if the Supreme Court drags its feet, we could be pushing this thing right up until the filing deadline in February. I hope they move quickly. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Metro Health CEO Akram Boutros never fails to surprise with announcements of new initiatives during his annual banquet, and he had some big ideas Thursday evening. Laura Johnston, he gave us an early look earlier this week. Lisa Garvin was there for it, too. And, and you just you have to sit back and say, wow. Yeah, these are not just individual ideas or something, you know, we'd like to do in the future. This is a bold new vision for healthcare delivery to make it more efficient, make it easier for patients and just better all around. And it's a whole new model of patient care. And it's not pie in the sky. They are doing them. They're, the first senior center that we're going to talk about is going to open in Solon in January. So these are um, the senior centers are called, I think, senior spry um, and they'll or maybe spry seniors and their healthcare centers focused exclusively on the needs of senior citizens so that people can get like a one-stop shop for everything they need and really get some attention. And rather than going into a waiting room and sitting around and, and having to wait for a doctor, they'll be in like a lobby type area where they'll have nutritionists and, and snacks and somebody to show them how to use the latest gadget or app for their healthcare. And, and that makes it sound like it's someplace you'd want to go, a community. Um, and then the other really big idea is this hospital at home. There would be a continuum of care that you could sign up for. No, this isn't going to be forced on anyone, but that you could actually be treated in your home up to ICU care, just with the hospital bed, with the broadband access and, and and sensors on your body that doctors would pay attention to, to know how you're feeling. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea that they, that whatever your problem is, they, they load up the van with all the stuff that would be needed. If you were in the hospital, show up at your house, outfit your house, wire you up, bring the broadband and, and go is, is interesting. I, 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 we tripped over the idea of doing that with ICU patients because they code and, you know, if you code and the doctors are miles away, then it's a much less likelihood that they'll bring you back. I guess the nurse that would be with you could, could, um, could hit the paddles. The, the senior idea is the one that, because it's so immediate that I, that I found so intriguing because what, what Akram said is, we're rebuilding how we deal with 65 year olds and older from the ground up. It's now they, they go in when, when they have an ailment and nobody's looking at them kind of holistically. And what he wants to do, doctors that normally see 20 people a day will see five and they'll sit with them and figure out everything they need to thrive for the rest of their life. If, you know, do they need flexibility exercises? They can do the yoga, the, all of that stuff, nutrition, whatever specialists, and focus on a plan that gives them what they need to to be well tended because that's not what's happening now. And he says Medicare pays for it all. Lisa Garvin, you you sat in for this. What, what were your thoughts? 
I thought the over 65 healthcare idea was a wonderful idea. And Dr. Boutrous mentioned that we've really done nothing. I'm getting close to that age one year away. But he mentioned, and rightly so, that the medical community has done nearly nothing to address the needs of elderly people, such as memory loss, transportation issues, and socialization. So the center would be like a social center. He said there would be areas where they can sit and talk and maybe even play bingo. They didn't mention bingo, but it might be there. Um, also, uh, they're providing transportation to and from these senior health centers. So, you know, a lot of seniors that don't own cars and, and maybe are not near a bus line will be able to get to these locations. So it's exciting to see a focus on geriatric care. Well, and what's amazing is, you know, we'll have one in January. We'll have five more within months. And he's hoping to take this whole thing statewide. I mean, you could end up with hundreds of these things, which would be a dramatic change in geriatric care. So very exciting stuff. They also announced a partnership with the Metro Parks, which could evolve into a pretty cool fitness thing. It seems like that's still forming. And they're very excited about their new cross-shaped logo. Can I, can I add in one thing? I just, I want to emphasize what you said, Chris, about thriving. And this isn't just about fixing people when they're sick. It really feels like a much more overarching plan to make people healthy rather than just sick care. And I, you got to salute that because we should all be living healthier lives and thriving for longer. Look, the Cleveland Clinic gets all the attention for, for what it does. But I, I don't think there's any bolder medical thinker right now than Akron Boutros. He comes in all the time. You know, we, uh, Betsy Sullivan, the opinion director, uh, said, hey, you know, last time you were here, you talked about how you were going to revamp imaging. You were going to set up off-site imaging centers that are cheap that anybody can walk in. And he was ready, man. He said, yeah, we got three of them. People come in, 250 bucks, whether they or their insurance company pays, they're in and out in 20 minutes. That's a gigantic change in how you would get MRIs and and scans and, and other things. And he's doing it and, and saving people money while building a healthy financial future for Metro Health. Cool stuff. Uh, lots of stories on this on cleveland.com. They'll be in the plane dealer over the next couple of days. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why might the new Cuyahoga County Jail we keep talking about get a lot more expensive than the already high price tag of $550 million that is on the table? Lisa Garvin, this was a slap in the face. The committee that's talking about the jail heard some pretty frightening news yesterday. Consultant Jeff Applebaum is definitely sounding the warning signs. Uh, you know, the jail pop, the jail plans currently in their current form, are looking at a maximum capacity of 1,600 beds. Right now, as of yesterday, there were 1,611 inmates in the jail, and this has been creeping up since the the pandemic low of under 1,000. So Applebaum is saying, if we need to build a jail that holds more than 1,600 inmates, that's going to cost a lot more money, and they really need to know, the architects need to know what their capacity is going to be before they can really finalize the plans. So his warnings were threefold. He said, you need to really ramp up on three things. The diversion center, which we know through previous reporting here, that uh, they're not sending as many people to the diversion center as they could. They need to get going on bail reform and also work on that central booking facility. So these are three things he says that they really need to get going in the coming months before they can really finalize plans for the jail. 
You know, uh, what what strikes me about these conversations, because they're had all the time, is nobody ever points to the people that are causing the problem, which are the judges. There's only one official that controls who's in the jail, and it's the judges. They're about half the judges that barely work, and their caseloads are enormous. And so when you look at the number of prisoners in that jail per judge, it's a staggering array. And there's there's discussions going on now saying, you know, Cuyahoga County got all these judges. We have way more judges per capita than Franklin County as its population peaked in the 70s. But our population has gone down. We don't need all these judges. And one of the easiest ways to reduce the population in the jail would be to reduce the number of judges. The other thing that is striking, we have been talking now for five years, almost six years about judicial and justice reform. And, mm-hmm. and it just moves so slowly. This was something Armin Budish, when he first came into office seven years ago, was pushing. He's got his fingers on the controls there. The judges have their fingers on the controls there. And it's not happening. So, so Applebaum's right. If you're not going to change the way you deal with this, we're going to have to spend a lot more money on a jail. So, And we learned earlier this week, we're already going to have a tax increase to pay for the one that's planned. Uh, I hope they're listening. And maybe we ought to initiate the discussion of just reducing the number of judges in Cuyahoga County, especially the ones who don't seem to be doing their jobs. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Ohio hospital leaders say the dire future they've been predicting for months is here. How bad have things gotten with the coronavirus in the state's health centers, Jeremy, and who is sounding the alarm? Well, it's the Ohio Hospital Association. So basically, most, if not all, of the hospitals in the state, and they're saying it's bad and getting worse. Uh, The association's president wrote a letter to the governor uh, saying he actually used the word dire to describe the situation. It was a combination of uh, just really... Uh, astounding statistics he put out to show how much the coronavirus patients have risen in the state's hospitals and add to that a staffing shortage. Uh, One statistic, for example, is that the percentage of patients in a hospital for coronavirus in Ohio has gone up from one out of every 100 patients just back in July to one out of every six now. And the problem is particularly bad in rural areas. So, we, we keep hearing people say this. We, you know, we've had the children's hospitals saying our ICUs are filling up, our hospitals are filling up. Now, in general, the numbers are staggering. The, we never thought we would approach the, the peaks we saw last December, but evidently that's completely in the possibility. So what does that hap- What happens? I mean, you know, Mike DeWine has his press briefings. He's the one that's sharing this information. Is anybody doing anything about it? Well, that's the thing. Uh, so this letter brought up a lot of the problems, but it didn't really mention any solutions or any recommendations or any requests. It just was sort of a, a status update. And uh, the governor brought up the letter in his press briefing yesterday, but he used it as just as a way to encourage people to get vaccinated. And he says the way to get out of this is to get vaccinated. But obviously, you know, that's not going nearly as well as the governor's hoping. So it seems to be that beyond vaccination, they're not offering a whole lot of answers to this. Can I add in here? This is Laura Johnston. Um, Jeremy sent me this letter yesterday and I read it and I was just like, okay, like it's bad, but they're not even requiring their own staffs to get vaccinated. So while they say, hey, you should get vaccinated, it's like, duh, but you're not even doing anything about it. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it, I don't know how much how how many times you can sound this kind of alarm, whether it's the schools or the hospitals, and and not have action. I mean, we, the alarm bells have been going off. They've been getting louder and louder ever since the kids returned to school. This thing is surging. People are getting sick. People are dying. What does it take for somebody to take official action and say, we got to do something to stop this in its tracks? Whining about it and saying, woe is us, is not stopping this thing in its tracks. Hospitals saying it's really bad is not stopping this thing. And at some point, you would, you would hope people would take action. We did the story last week that said, this is the legislature. Children are suffering because of Bob Cup and Matt Huffman. The bodies they lead have blocked the ability to protect the children and so children are suffering because of those two guys. And even with that, they, they just happily go along. Their legacy will be sick, sick children. And I guess they're okay with that. You're listening I, to This Week in the CLE. What is Cleveland Mayor Frank Jackson's plan for the huge windfall of stimulus money the city received now that the city has finally released details? Lord Johnston, this was weird. Because earlier in the week, the city council put out some or encumbered some money for a nondescript plan for broadband. And then we have a press conference or a a press briefing, I guess, virtual yesterday for Frank Jackson's plan. But he didn't even do it. So what what was that about? Right. I think Frank Jackson is, is with his family after his grandson was was killed over the weekend. He didn't come to the state of the schools on Wednesday. So I think he's he's hunkered down, but he wants to to put out his plan. So he had his. Wait, finance wait, 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 though. We we've been asking about this plan. Yeah. Literally for months. So what is the urgency of doing it yesterday until unless well, that's a really good for next really week when point. he's, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, he's busy. Everybody gets that. What was the emergency to get this out yesterday? Well, and there, it's not like they have a contract that they want to bring. They're just still talking about plans. The city gets $511 million total. They got their first chunk of it in $255 million in June. So you're right. We've had plenty of time to come up with a plan and announce it. But it's not even clear how much of this plan is going to get done in the next three months before a new mayor takes over. Jackson wants the biggest share, about $108 million, to make up for revenues lost during the pandemic, which we've explained before. That's lots lost in parking taxes, admission taxes, income taxes, everything from people not coming into the city. And then the remainder is $75 million for community and economic development programs, $15 million for, quote, strategic demolition, and $26 million for public safety. And then, you know, council's already earmarked $25 million, which we talked about earlier, the $20 million for this very ambiguous broadband plan and $5 million for the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. Um, And there's some details about that, the new money that we're talking about, like the public safety would go toward new vehicles, equipment and technology. But these aren't brand new ideas. This isn't anything earth shattering. Yeah, I, I just don't. I mean, you know, look, I think um, city council, especially uh, council president Kevin Kelly, took it on the chin because of what they did on Monday. I mean, they were what they did was unusual in every way. They had no plan. They had no hearings. But it was this this fool's rush to encumber the money for for this non non-existent broadband plan. And council person Carrie McCormick called them out, voted against it, said this is completely unusual. 
So maybe what Jackson is doing is saying, okay, these bozos can't figure out what they're doing, so I'm going to lay out the plan. But he supports Kevin Kelly for mayor, and so I don't know that he would actually go against them. I, I, I cannot read rhyme or reason into what the urgency was to get another pretty nondescript set of facts out before the public with regard to the stimulus, especially since they're not going to end up spending it. This will be left for the next administration and the next city council. Right. I mean, I think that was the whole drumbeat all summer long was, you know, what are you going to do with this money? And it was like, well, we're, we're going to work on it and come up with a plan, but it's going to involve the new mayor. And there's, you know, the near, there's not a new mayor yet and they still don't have details. So it just seems like a, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. It's been a strange, strange week with the doings at Cleveland City Hall. Let's hope order is restored once the elections are over. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Every employer, it seems, is looking for workers, but not many sectors have been hit harder than the restaurant industry. Have things improved at all in Cleveland, Lisa Garvin? We went out and took a look. In a word, no. I mean, staffing is still a major problem, even as customers are returning in droves because, you know, they've been pent up and there's pent up demand for eating out. But there and some uh, restaurants, some owners that we talk to are limiting their hours. They're turning away customers because they don't have enough wait staff to help them. Winking Lizard even closed one of its locations, its gateway location, temporarily because they couldn't staff it. And it's not just waiters, it's dishwashers, it's cooks. They're just not finding people. In my own personal experience, and I've been going out eating inside of restaurants for almost a year now because I want to support my favorite restaurants, but I've walked into restaurants where there's eight tables, one waiter, they don't even look at us when we come in. So it's it's just a dire situation. Um, I went to Geraci's the other day. There was a waitress doing cashiering, takeout, phone orders, and bussing her own tables. Every restaurant has a hiring sign in it and they're just not getting the help. Is the is the only solution really that they're all going to have to raise their prices so that they can pay people a wage that attracts workers? Well, some of them have done that. I think the biggest problem, and I was a waitress for four years before I was able to break into radio, is that there's no benefits. I mean, and, and some, some companies like big chain companies might be off able to offer benefits, but most restaurants don't, they have a very thin profit margin as it is. So I think it's the benefits that are the lack thereof that's keeping people away because you can't make good money. I mean, wages have gone up in the restaurant industry. If you're a good server, you can make good tips. So I think, you know, it's the lack of benefits that's keeping, and it's hard work. Yeah, so so the financial model for restaurants is broken, and I wonder how it gets fixed. It's really sad how many have been lost, and people had had celebrated Cleveland's foodie culture. I wonder what this means for it in the long term. And I would like to say, you're just listening. In, no, in a, just in a final uh, plea, I think for restaurant goers, I think we need to be patient, and we need to tip heavily. Okay, good advice. You're listening to this week in the CLE. As if Ohio's unemployment system doesn't have enough problems, now comes State Auditor Keith Faber with a laundry list of areas where the system is failing the taxpayers. Jeremy Pelzer, this reminds me of the Cleveland water system 
10, 15 years ago, their customer service had completely collapsed. The water was good. They were delivering the water. But but we were doing story after story about how they were sending out $10,000 bills to residents. And, and it was just, it was a feeding frenzy because it was such a mess and they wouldn't fix it. I mean, it took them forever to finally say, okay, okay, we have a problem and finally start to fix it. And all the while we were cranking out story after story about what a disaster it was. This feels like that. We've been talking about the unemployment system since the middle of last year and it's not fixed. We've even been talking about it before that because it's been a mess, as you say, for years. It's been virtually insolvent, uh, even before the pandemic started. And no one's been able to find a long-term fix because labor unions and employers haven't been able to agree on how to get the money to shore up the system. Then enter the coronavirus pandemic. And now uh, you're coming out, as you said, this audit from uh, Keith Faber's office just lists problem after problem with customer service. Some I don't have to remind you guys or our listeners about how much of a fiasco the unemployment system became uh, where it took weeks or months for people to get benefits and just huge numbers of people waiting for hours to even try to call uh, or talk to a call center rep about a problem or a question. And uh, long story short, some of the, the top two takeaways from this audit were that I saw. One is making more information available about people's claim status online. So like estimates when their applications will be approved. That would be good to know. Uh, and then also creating a unified system to track complaints or questions. Right now, there's a lot of different ways to contact the, the unemployment system, but they're not really unified. They're all disparate contact systems. And so that's something that needs to be fixed. My favorite story about this throughout it all was when uh, the, the seek, we revealed the secret of getting served, which was go to your legislator and they'll get you through the door. And the unemployment people were saying, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That just makes a mess. But it was the only way to get it fixed. But but the idea that that it's a it's, you know, 15, 16 months since this became a bona fide crisis for a lot of people that that it's still as broken as it is think back in the beginning there were people like me that were got notice of somehow that somebody had tried to file a a false claim in their name i mean so many people had attempted fraud committed in their names and everybody went to the website and reported it i don't think anybody's heard back that hey you know that was fraud we're it's taken care of don't sweat this nobody got notified like that you would think there'd be some sort of response to that and and i and i come back to look we got a leader of state governor mike dewine is the head of state he ran for this job where is he? I mean, this is his problem. This is part of the administration of Mike DeWine. Where is the fix? If I and could you add something. Fraud and that's. Lisa no, go Garvin. ahead, Jeremy. No, I, 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 and I've said this before. Um, it's a lot of it is just an IT failure. I mean, they're using a very antiquated system and systems that don't talk to each other, but nobody wants to spend the big price tag to fix that. So, I mean, I think if they get some of the IT issues out of the way, they could move forward, but. Jeremy, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that uh, you're you're right that the other shoe that's going to drop on this is about fraud. This is the customer service audit and Faber's office is going to come out in a couple of weeks or a week or two with their audit into fraud. And that is going to be really interesting to see uh, what he comes up with. All right. I, I just I can't believe 
they haven't fixed it. I mean, it's just at some point you would think somebody would say, look, enough already. Throw every resource we have. This has got to stop being a problem. It'll be part of the election next year. Whoever the Democratic candidate is running against him will remind people of the agony they had dealing with this just incredibly incompetent department. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's latest sweepstakes-like plan to get more people vaccinated in Ohio, following up on his well-known groundbreaking Vaximillion idea? Laura Johnston, he's trying to use incentives again. He is because he's trying to get young people to get vaccinated. We're talking about young people ages 12 to 25, and this is Vaximillion 2. Vax to School is the official name of it. And the idea is $100,000 scholarships to use for any sort of education or job training. And they'll be drawn five in a row at the beginning of October. The, 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 the interesting thing about this is when he had his briefing and he announced it, there were some reporters that were throwing shade at the Vax a million. Like, you know, that didn't work. How can you justify spending this money? But the fact is that did work. I mean, there was, a, there was an early study that said it didn't. But if you looked at how they did it, it was hugely flawed. A later study that they did, I think it was Harvard or Yale, showed it did get a lot of people vaccinated. When you when you really put the controls on it, that was money well spent. I mean, that was when he, we all thought it was a zany idea. When he announced that, it was like, really? We're going that way. But it worked. And so maybe this will work. Yeah, maybe. I think what he zeroed in on in his, his briefing yesterday was that it will get the people who intend to get vaccinated, vaccinated faster. Um, he mentioned one of the scholarship winners last time said they had intended to get their child vaccinated before school started. But when this, the first Vaximillion started up, I think it was in May, they decided let's just do it now. So I think that idea of people that have been dragging their feet and saying, oh, I'll go do it. They're going to be thinking, okay, let's get it done now. Maybe we can win $100,000. Because the young people, obviously, we have school where spread is an issue. And young people have been thinking they're more invincible when it comes to COVID. And they're the ones in the hospital now. The, the vaccination rate drops, you know, precipitously after, you know, under 40. So the idea is to get the, the young people who aren't getting vaccinated to think about it. All right. So let me ask you the question you're not going to have an answer for today. The last time he tried to get kids to do it, he gave full scholarships to mm -hmm. college. It wasn't a dollar amount. This time it's a hundred thousand dollars. What, what, any idea why? Well, I think part of it was before you could go to a state school, you could go to any state school tuition free. I think your books and room and board and everything was paid for. And that sounds fantastic. I would definitely sign up for that. But this gives a little more options. I mean, they're offering it to 25 year olds, some of whom have already graduated from college or some of whom might not want to go to a four year school. They want to get job training. They want, you know, I don't know what they want to do with it. it this seems like they're not a ton of of strings attached. But I think Mike DeWine said when he talked to people throughout the state, the idea of a scholarship went over better than just handing over money. So let's call it a scholarship and give you a hundred thousand right. dollars. So as, as somebody that soon will not soon, but in the not distant future, we'll be thinking about sending college. Well, a hundred thousand dollars pay for a four year college. No, degree? but what I want to know from Mike DeWine, if he's listening is my kids are eight and 10. I intend to get them vaccinated as soon as they're able. Will there be another round of scholarships for those kids, please? <laughs> Yeah, let's see. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. 
That'll do it. Great discussion. Thanks, Jeremy, for joining us. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back Monday to talk about more news.